Welcome to the Fire and Bones podcast, a weekly conversation between two friends and pastors applying the Word of God to everyday life. I'm Nathan Loudon, and I pastor at Millwood Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. I'm with my friend Michael Crosswhite, who pastors Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at FireBonesCast. Thanks for joining today's episode. We could name a lot of people who are struggling with all kinds of things, losing their faith, being pastors. I think that that's that's the that's in church ministry, but it's in family ministry. We've heard this word seems to be becoming a more formal term now than I remember hearing in years past. Deconstructing, losing your faith. Is that something you've heard about, seen a lot? experienced firsthand? I don't know what it is about um, this, even just like this month. Uh, I feel like I know of three people, maybe four people that are in some form of walking away from the faith. Uh, One just outright uh, turned and, and ran and just denounced the faith. Um, others that are in the process of, you know, all kinds of, you know, deep sin and, and, and running from people that love them and care for them. I mean, the list goes on. I mean, there, there's just a, a, a host and I feel like for whatever reason, this particular, I don't know, month of ministry has been, mm-hmm. seems like one person right after another, just walking away. Yeah, as bit, I've had that experience as well. Um, people who are close, not only um, hearing about people or distant family members, but, but close people. What do, what do you think is the experience that ties all, all of those together? Is there anything that kind of puts them in a category for you that says this is generally what happens? Or how, how do you deal with it? How do you well, – what category do you even put that in? Yeah, Um Man, it's so, I think it's so difficult because they are, sometimes they're all very different. And of course, I don't, I don't know all the situations that are going on in every single person's life. Like, I don't know their heart. I don't know every struggle that they've ever had and and things like that. But I would say, on the whole, there tends to be a few themes popping up over and over again. And and believe it or not, I think the vast majority of time we spend is addressing the intellectual aspect of deconstructing. So rationale, apologetics, um, you know, the person struggling with, you know, what they see as conflicting accounts in the gospels or something like that, you know. Historicity, yeah. the age yeah, of the earth. Those kinds things of things. Like and we spend a lot of our time then addressing those particular issues. Well, let's talk about the reconciliation of the gospel accounts, or let's talk about the historicity of those mm-hmm. scriptures or whatever. And we spend a lot of our time doing those sorts of intellectual arguments. But I've found so often there is 
deep sin that is just abiding in the person's life. And it might be a host of different kinds of struggles. I know, you know, I, I obviously counsel a lot of men, and um, there, I think pornography is probably one of the, in my estimation, would be probably one of the leading <clears throat> uh, instigators in falling away or in deconstructing, simply because a person is... Uh, just is is addicted to or diving into this kind of sexual sin they cannot break free mm-hmm. from it and at some point private yeah it's secret yeah it's not they're suffering yeah. in silence you know no one knows right. they can't tell anybody because if they told anybody then they would they mm-hmm. feel like they would be accused or they would mm-hmm. be scoffed at or, or whatever and or mm-hmm. just embarrassed mm-hmm. or bring whatever shame to their mm-hmm. name or family or whatever and so they don't tell anybody, so they suffer in silence. And and then there are all these things that they hear from the pulpit that, well, Christ gives us freedom from sin, uh, sanctification, we're gradually being conformed into the image of Christ. Um, the list goes on of the things that they hear from the pulpit, and they're, they're sitting in the pew going, okay, either this isn't true because I'm still suffering, with this mm-hmm. addictive sin or I'm not a Christian and he doesn't love me and he doesn't care for me. And I think this, mm-hmm. I think, I think more often than not more often than we even know, probably that is the initial catalyst that sort of begins to push, push people away from Christ is, is really the, mm-hmm. the inability or, perceived inability to distance themselves from sin. What do you think? Yeah, so that that makes me think you're putting it into the larger category of disbelief. Yes. That there's unbelief. I hear the gospel. I don't believe it. Um, potentially lacking courage, which I think comes from disbelief. I, I, I don't have the courage to go. Um, I don't have the will. I don't have the strength to go tell someone my sin and actually find healing and counsel. Because there's disbelief, uh, and it's what's going on in the heart and mind can be difficult to discern from from person to person. But it's not it's it's not as if it's just um, I didn't want to. Although that's, I think that's part of it, but I, I don't I don't believe. I I think that's what you just described is a, a disbelief of the preached word actually being true. And when I so for example, I know when I've talked about pornography from the pulpit or other sin, it's not only believe, it's go talk to someone. It's find healing, it's confess, it's share, find someone to talk someone to talk with. And so it's it's wrapped up in it do do I believe I'm the shame, kind of like in a garden. I'm actually I don't want God to see me. So I go hide from God. Do I actually believe that I can come out in the light and be welcomed? And be uh, received, and not be. Uh, can I, can I bear to be seen? Uh, and the only way that you can do that is to believe the gospel. The gospel is the only thing that makes you come. You know, you you're expose your sin and say, "I'm." It's okay if you, if I'm seen. It's okay if I'm known, because Christ has for truly forgiven sin, and is making me know. And sometimes that might be from deconstructing type questions that people start to think. I don't know if I'm a Christian. 
I don't know if all this is real. And so it's a mixture of shame and, well, I don't think this is, this doesn't even make sense now that I think about it. And uh, my guess is that for most people, it's a mixture of, of shame. In some examples, I'm going to go a different direction in a minute, but it's, it's a mixture of shame and, and disbelief. Um, altogether, that's been my some of my experience for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> but I, I, I do, I think you are right to hesitate to nail it down because every every deconstruction, if you will, comes from a different place. Uh, what's going on in their heart and mind? What happened in their lives? Uh, it's 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 difficult to nail down. Yeah, and and certainly I, I'm not meaning to belittle the apologetic type reasons for disbelief. They're, they mm-hmm. are there, mm-hmm. and people do uh, encounter them and, and struggle to know, you know, what to do with, you know, some of these uh, apparent discrepancies or whatever. And so, I mean, th- those are real reasons mm-hmm. and, and not just everybody who deconstruct is mm-hmm. like, Oh, I know he's got a secret sin going on that, you know, no one knows about. Yeah. You know, that's not necessarily true either. Right. Yeah. There are intellectual deconstructions. Yeah, um, and sometimes they're, they're mixed. Like you said, there's a lot of things going on. The intellectual deconstruction, deconstructing of the Christian faith is one thing, <clears throat> but it would be, extremely harmful for us to just assume in conversation with anyone that oh you're you're leaving the faith well what's your secret sin you must be hide there must be some reason you don't want to continue in the faith because that would mean you have to expose this or or continue living in duplicitous lifestyle which you don't want to do you're trying to cure your own conscience instead of walking to Christ walking away from Christ and, and hoping that you'll never fear that. that. It's just assuming that is extremely dangerous. Assuming anything about anyone is extremely dangerous unless we see lives, fruit in their lives, and uh, can take the words out of their own mouths. Uh, we do need to be careful. That reminds me of a proverb that I've used in counseling so many times, and it's so helpful for me. God help me do better at this as well. The fool takes no desire in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Mm. And I think this is what gets the Christian faith and Christian witness in trouble a lot, is we come to people who are either disconstructing or even just having a hard time, Mm -hmm. period. And we assume that we know. We learn a little bit, and then we say a lot. And we have no desire to actually understand What's going on in a situation? What's going on in their lives? How they got to the point where they are today? That's foolish. That's foolish. And so if if I'm just thinking, like as I'm talking to people, uh, very often, um, I, I've had my own experiences of speaking too soon into a situation, and realizing the medicine that I was trying to apply, it's not even the medicine. It, that that actually wasn't the sickness, yeah. <laughs> and I just I, I just kind of threw it on there, and it was gospel ish and it was Bible ish, but it wasn't really hitting home because I hadn't listened right. long enough. Um, I've I'm, I've done that. I've been on that side of the table, and it's not good. It's not good. It doesn't help. Um, do you feel like you've had a hard time 
um, figuring out how to respond to those who are deconstructing in faith. Um, I mean, how's, how's that, how, how have you felt your, you've been able to navigate those waters recently? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been difficult. I've, I've had opportunities to actually sit down at the table with people who are in the middle of, you know, deconstructing. And, um, there were definitely ways that if I could go back, I would do it differently. But, you know, so often when it comes to the pastor, there are exceptions. You have a really good personal relationship with the person, things like that. There tends to be a little bit more communication that you get to have with them. But then often when it comes to the pastor, it's like the last person I've got to notify, you know? And so I've had Mm -hmm. a lot of those conversations too, where it's, you know, sitting down at the table and, and just hearing, this is it. This is the conclusion I've come to. They've come to announce their decision. And in which case it feels more like a death notice than it does like a a debate or that they're welcoming Mm -hmm. some view that they've never heard of before. Um, I -hmm. think though, you know, in my experience, the, the, I think often Christians are intimidated by the, those kinds of debates are scared of them because perhaps deep down we feel like maybe they do have a really good argument and I'm scared to entertain those arguments because well, I might deconstruct if that's the case, you know, if it, if I, if I can't prove mm-hmm. it wrong. But what you often find is that the arguments are really not that great. They're not, um, they're not su- super, you know, developed and things like that and more often than not you find that no the person is leaving for a multitude of reasons or of reasons and they're mm-hmm. i think we're always in the it was anselm who said uh, uh described it as faith seeking understanding um i think deconstruction mm-hmm. is the same thing it's it's for the most part there is a person who is walking away and they're seeking to understand why they're walking away. And so a lot of what they're presenting mm. to you is the reasons why they walked away. Um, or they already have reasons that they're walking away, but they are justifying right. them for lack of a better term. Not as if they're being dishonest, but just like faith seeks understanding, uh, disbelief seeks understanding. It's trying to say, I disbelieve because of this sin or because of a hurt, because of something. So I, I, I know it's not true. I need to go find some categories and some words and some belief systems to help define my disbelief right. and, and justify it. So that, that's kind of a track. Yeah, just and I think <clears throat> if I were to kind of you know group them all together – I, I think more than anything, that's probably all of us to some degree. That I get the sense that Christ is true, and um, that sin is separating me from God, and have found that in the gospel, this makes the most sense both historically and spiritually 
for what I sense to be true. Does that make sense? And mm-hmm. I think that's true. So I think that's true of everyone to some degree is that we, we have this uh, kind of sensitivity about what, what is what, what we feel like is right or, or wrong. And then we seek to put it into categories and define it. And I think for the most deconstructionists that I say that's like a title, but, uh, you know, most of the people going through deconstruction that I know of have, have all been in some, you know, some place along that spectrum where they have, you know, we could see this coming for a while. There were several different indicators that, that they were, they were unhappy and, and whatever. And then they sought to, put all those things in categories. And so they started reading, you know, Bart Ehrman, or they started reading a number of these other people who have deconstructed and, um, and picked up their arguments and said, you know, those are great. And, but you know, the problem I think with, with all of that, and I've so far, I haven't really found, um, one who is going through deconstruction that was willing to do it, but that you don't find many who are willing to doubt their doubts. Like they will doubt their faith and they will put mm-hmm. their faith to the test by reading somebody who's deconstructed and giving arguments against Christianity. But then they won't mm-hmm. go the next step of doubting their doubts and reading people who have interacted specifically with that author or with those particular ideas to help reconcile them with the, with the gospel. And so you end up in this situation where they're unwilling to doubt their doubts. Well, why is that? It's because they they were already there for a multitude of reasons, and this is just solidifying what they've wanted to be true, you know, all along, to some degree. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. There's a book that we're going to mention at some point. Here's a good as, as spot as any. It's called "Before You Lose Your Faith: Deconstructing Doubt in the Church," and uh, the Gospel Coalition put it out. I've uh, I haven't read every single word of it, but I've found uh, what I have read and overviewed to be really helpful. Puts it in three categories. Part one, deconstructing deconstruction. And it's basically what you just said. It's challenging your own your own doubts. And Trevin Wax uses that that language. To be really intellectually honest, you have to actually ask more questions than you're asking. Because I think that's part of the, the pride in, in any camp, whether you're going to Christ potentially or, or the other direction, you could do the same you could do the same thing. You could have a really shallow, thin plastic Christianity uh, by not asking more yeah. questions. Um, and uh, Trevor Wax says, I hope you'll discover more questions and entertain more doubts. Uh, you heard me right. You need to doubt more. You need to question more. He says, "I, I think it's so helpful." What and and you just tapped on it that there's almost kind of a whether it's sin or grief, the taking on of personal responsibility for myself turns me into a lazy thinker. It just feels like too much. Feels too heavy. Too many questions. Too many answers. And comes down. I think again. Maybe maybe it comes just down again to disbelief that. There's something there, right. uh, that there's an answer there, or, or that it would be good if I find the answer. Um, I think sometimes that's the issue is I don't even think it would be good if I found it. 
because what I have heard from the church, what I've heard from the Bible is kind of why I'm in this mess in the first place. Uh, I don't think that's an uncommon testimony uh, that the Bible and the church and Christ doesn't seem like a place to go find the answers because how I was preached it and taught it and shown it is actually kind of why I'm here in this place. Um, and so it puts you in a position where it's extremely difficult to doubt your own doubts about Christ and the church because your doubts about Christ and the church and God's word come from the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you have to overcome your own ministers in a sense whoever that might be, in order to get actually to Christ and to a true church, to, to what God's Word actually says. I just, I, that just makes me want to weep for those in that right. place. It's What an unbelievable barrier to, to have to over overcome if that's their situation. And I don't think that's uncommon. I think it's only more common um, uh, in, in our decade uh, than it has been previously in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, we're having notable uh, Christian celebrities. Let's put it that way. I don't know how you want to classify Christian mm-hmm. celebrities, but um, I think <laughs> relatively well-known in church culture and relative, relatively... At least if you were a teenager yes, in the 90s. if you were a teenager in the 90s and you listened yeah, okay. to music yeah. that was that identified itself as Christian... Um, uh-huh. Then I think you probably have heard of some of the people that are beginning to deconstruct. I mean, or or already you know through a process or self-proclaimed deconstructed from the faith, left the faith, whatever. Um, I mean, the notable Derek Webb, uh, you know, Kevin Max. Derek yeah, Webb. Yeah. Derek Webb is singer songwriter for Kevin's yeah. Call went yeah. solo. Yep. And um, and then Kevin, Kevin Max, Max is your beloved said, DC talk. Uh. <laughs> and he's interesting. He didn't go to um, atheism. He went to the universal Christ, uh, which I'm not totally familiar with, but as I understand, is not faithful. Yeah, Christ. and and I, I don't know much about Kevin Max either. Um, certainly not seeking to slander him at all, but I think this was just came out not that long ago. This is just you know a few weeks ago. Him. Yeah, no, I know he's a he's kind of a. I think a self-proclaimed socialist and uh, something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't. I can't remember exactly the terms he uses. But uh, walking away from traditional Christianity for sure, I think would be a safe Mm -hmm. place to kind of you know whatever safe term for that. Um, Mm -hmm. So notable, notable people. You know, do yeah, Rhett and Link. I think we need to um, mention them. Which who were big YouTubers. I mean, that's. Do you know how much money they make a year? Apparently? I have no idea. $12 million. See? This is why we got to start a YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm wow. just kidding. Wow. Yeah, Red and Link were the voices uh, for um, What's in the Bible series by Phil Vischer. You know, Phil Vischer sold or left VeggieTales, I don't remember which, started What's in the Bible. And Rhett and Link were uh, part of crew, mm. I think, and uh, were in ministry and doing all kinds of ministry. And they had several episodes of very public, very detailed partnering in their own deconstruction. Um, that 
I mean, they have millions of subscribers and followers. Mm -hmm. That was a very public, and I think that's that's way. I mean, Josh Harris, another one that yeah. I, we mentioned him. These are guys that are our age. Rhett and Link are appealing to a younger generation, even I think. I think um, um the uh, is it Michael Gunger from I think he he's kind of been mm -hmm. in some capacity. Uh, deconstructing, I think, to a degree. Hmm. Um, That's sad. Yeah, he's incredible songwriter. I didn't. Well, I did not know that. I, you know, I just jumped out there with it, and I'm, I really, I'm, I'm now I'm questioning my own my own <laughs> recollection. But, should, maybe we should Google yeah. that one. <laughs> uh, so I'm happy to be corrected <laughs> wrong on that. But uh, I, I, I know there were yeah. some contentious things that he had said in in re recent days and. Or not maybe not recent days, recent years, um, mm -hmm. and I think that was put in the kind of conversation of deconstruction. But I, I could be wrong about that. But you know, anyway, the point is, lots of notable people that we know of, have heard of in the age of Twitter and Instagram and all of these like social media platforms. You kind of know what everybody's thinking, and you're able to keep up with everybody. So, mm -hmm. I would say that yeah, this is a. a big issue that's going on right now in you know the church in America especially I, don't, I can't really speak to any other church mm -hmm. culture but I think really the question is you know obviously we've got identified some issues that are going on that typical for people that are in that kind of process of deconstructing but is there something mm -hmm. in the church culture that sort of that we do that hurts us in this capacity like the, maybe maybe I should mm -hmm. phrase it better that something that we're not doing that we should be doing mm -hmm. um yes I mean I, to speak to churches that we know of is one thing culture this can be a hard thing to peg down but I just think there there are as for in our experience at my church, there have been some who, for example, left our church, a married couple who wanted to go um, have an open marriage together, and they knew that we would not approve of that, uh, which was extremely revealing and shocking to some of us. Um, another couple, a uh, guy that was a couple that was in my life group for some time, many years ago, uh, ended up getting divorced. Uh, she's now in a same-sex relationship haven't spoken with them in a long time was not part of her deconstruction i'm not sure where her faith is in general period uh, i've had people headed toward ministry walk away from the faith entirely um and i i would say in every single one of those i could say you know what i wish we would have done this uh, i wish maybe if we did this or said this or if someone loved them a certain way that it would have you know we could have stopped that train and switched tracks. But I look back and I, I'm thinking that I, I think that's true because I think that's true about everything. I think that every Monday about every sermon right. I ever preach, right? I could, I could do that differently. But I don't I don't look back and go, you know what? We were so unfaithful and so unloving and didn't try in some way to care for them uh, and that we, we preached a false gospel and we preached a false word. That, that really got in the way. We abused them. It got in the way of them seeing the gospel. 
Um, I don't think that's the case. Uh, for it. Could we have loved them better? 100%. 100%. But I don't look at that and go, well, that's, we're clearly the problem. Now, does that mean that doesn't happen? No. Um, there's plenty of testimony of uh, stories where people are in high Christian churches, uh, you know, very faithful, very involved Christian families, and they're abused um, from church leadership or from parents. Uh, they're lied to. They're pharisaical. Uh, the the word is itself abused and manipulated and narrowed down to political means or certain theological group or interpretation, and and it becomes it's it it becomes the hurdle that they have rather than the help to actually hearing God and hearing the gospel. I I think that happens uh, a, a lot. And I've seen some people come to our church. I was talking to a uh, young guy um, uh, in our church um, who has a family member back home where he grew up who just said, you know, my family is at this certain church, and uh, one of my siblings uh, doesn't want to go to this church because of these kind of abusive things that they teach. And he was trying to talk to me about how to get the younger sibling out of there, uh, and that sibling is pretty young, so you can't just uh, take them or they can't drive on their own, you know, so it's it's tough, but it that exists, and it, it, it's terrible. But I think, you know, it, I it's one thing that's important is to mention the abuse, the misuse of Christianity as a clear reason many walk away from the church, they, that they quit trying. And I think in a way that we, we really can't even blame them. We can't say, well, you should have known. No, when you're abused, when the word, when you're, when the word is misused and used as an authority over you rather than love and care for you, um, even if uh, true and in discipline, then um, what, what do you expect? Yeah. You know. And I do think that we get this wrong often. So I'll, I'll share an example that I think is concerning. And I think representative, and I don't mean to uh, disparage uh, Al Mohler when I bring this up, but it's just an example of how we're not careful. We can, we can see, we can miss things, and and say things that we don't mean to say. So, for example, I was listening to Mohler's briefing uh, years ago now, and he was mentioning an article in the New York Times. Um, this 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 might sound like it's trying to make me sound really good and Mohler really bad. Don't. This is – no, that is not where we're going. He mentioned an article, I think in the New York Times, by a journalist named Julia Shears. And the article was about Julia in an atheist perspective teaching her kids morality and saying you don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a theist uh, to teach your kids to be moral people, and that's what the whole article was about. Well, Moeller picked that up and responded to it as he often does philosophically, critically in – um, the uh, in his morning briefing, and I was listening to it, and I just it, it wasn't even a big deal. I just thought, yeah, that's a, that's what Christianity would say about raising kids uh, uh, morally and atheistic. There are some worldview consistency problems in that view, and so I get it and I totally believe it. But he mentioned her, and for some reason, it stuck out to me. So I decided I'm going to uh, look her up and see some more of her story. She has a book that she wrote called Jesus Land, which as soon as I saw the title, I was like, yeah, I'm going to read this book. 
<laughs> and it's her story. Uh, the cover has her. Uh, she's she's white. She has an adopted black brother. I think two brothers, if I remember right. And they're on the cover. And her story is about growing up in Calvinistic, uh, I want to say Indiana or Illinois, some, somewhere up there, uh, Calvinistic home where she was abused and her brothers were even more forcefully abused. Uh, I mean, to the degree of a uh, Calvinistic father breaking a child's arm, taking oh him to the hospital, lying oh about it and, co and covering it up, am among other things. She is eventually sent to uh, some kind of corrective camp, uh, Christian camp, somewhere in the Caribbean islands or something like that. And it's like what you see in the movies. I mean, it's uh, the kind of abuse, neglect, no accountability, um, high, I mean, just all, all kinds of uh, stories of, of abuse out there. And to hear her talk about the church she has a chapter just on rapture which is really funny to hear her talk about the church and about christ and about god um it it doesn't surprise me and i, I don't blame her so there's one example for example she says anger is now the only emotion i allow myself anger and hatred which is simply anger boiled down to its core element I hate this place, I hate this people, and I hate the God that allows these things mm. to happen. I go through the program, that's the, the place that she was sent, like a circus tiger, obeying commands, concealing my true nature, knowing that someday my fangs and claws shall be used once more. I mean, th this book is haunting. Uh, it was uh, just really sad but for me i i'm not going to i'm not trying to lay blame at Muller's feet and saying he should have known her story and you can't interact on an academic level when you read an academic piece in a paper that's not what i'm saying but for me it was extremely helpful to go you know what if i'm not careful i will just go from person to person arguing intellectually with them and never hear what happened to them right and never, never get there. It's not this that they don't believe in God. They're actually angry and they've been abused and they've been hurt. And no amount of philosophy or Christian apologetic is going to heal that, that brokenness. Right. So that, that was just a huge lesson to me uh, to be way more patient, take the slow road. I was reading, rereading Rosaria Butterfield's book that we mentioned uh, previously, uh, maybe last week or so. And she said that, you know, she's not deconstructing per se. She's coming to faith. Um, and she said for two years, she never went to church with their pastor, Ken. But she had an on-off relationship with Ken and his wife, Floyd, and, of reading the Bible and visiting together. Two years before she ever got close to stepping foot in a church. I just think we need to hear that those kinds of things much more when it comes to deconstructing uh, the book by the by the Gospel Coalition. I think it's really helpful, um, but even it, if we're not careful, it will make us sound like you know find the right chapter. Oh, they're you know what their problem? Their problem is social justice. That's their problem with the church. 
they don't do enough social justice. So there's a chapter about that in the book, Before You Lose Your Faith. So I'm going to go get Before You Lose Your Faith. I'm going to highlight that chapter, put a bookmark, and give it to them and let them know this is the book that answers our question. And if we think that kind of thin, uh, it, you know, uh, shallow understanding of, of their lives is going to kind of turn them around and win them, I think we're... Uh, we're we're kind of dreaming. We're kind of living in a in a world that doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when especially when it comes to the topic of abuse, which is a really, I mean, uh, I mean, I guess it's been a sensitive subject for a long time. Probably, it's big in the SBC yeah, right I mean, now. It, it's yeah. coming to light in the SBC, thankfully, um, and mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you know it's beginning to kind of at least be talked about. I don't know how close we are to really actually dealing with it. But being talked mm-hmm. about it, it seems to be um, coming to the fore, you know, m- much more frequently, which is which is fantastic. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, this is, I think, another huge reason why we see people, and I, I'm not sure if it's even fair to call that deconstruction as much as it is, I don't, you know, right. a yeah. kid that's, that's abused good. by... by someone who's claiming the name of Christ and abuses this kid, um, you know, like you, like you described breaking, breaking the kid's arm and, and I mean, good grief. That's so heartbreaking. And when, when you listen to that, it's hard to really call that kid deconstructing, deconstructing when they're, when they're an Mm -hmm. adult. Cause I mean, did they really ever have a chance? Um, to mm-hmm. believe to begin with, uh, he, the closest people to them, the people that they trust the most, are abusing them. Um, th- I can't think of a more heinous crime than that. You know, it just mm-hmm. the people that you trust the most abusing you is. And, and and that's gone on, I mean, that's gone on in churches, that's gone on in the pulpits, that's gone on in deacon ministry, that's gone on in places of leadership uh, uh, in churches, that, that then the recourse afterwards is protect the one who is, not the one who is abused, protect the one who was in a position of authority because they wouldn't do something like that or whatever. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. you hear that, you you know, I can't help but think, do you you understand what this is doing to this kid? All right. Do you understand what that's doing to the victim, but also to the name of Christ? I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're, you're destroying every ounce of credibility there there could be for the gospel in the mind of this kid. Because you're unwilling to say what is, you know, inconvenient and, and hurtful. And, and, and that's not necessarily to disparage, you know, every pastor out there who, you know, has had some situation in their church or, or something like that. That could happen anywhere. Um, and it's difficult to know how to approach everything, how to do, and, and everybody's going to sit on the outside and kind of snipe, you know, the the your decisions and stuff like that. I, I, I get all that, but, um, but at the same time, like there is a impetus on us as leaders in the church to say, 
you know, we're, we're going to be the one that always has to say the hard things, um, the inconvenient things and, and the tough things because the name of Christ is at stake in, um, you know, on the broader culture, but also in the mind of these who are being taken advantage of. Um, you know, and, and in her case, I don't know whether anybody actually knew about this guy and what he was doing. Um, you know, that's a huge right. problem too right. in and of itself. But, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. but, you know, so many things like that. I, you know, so I initially asked the question minutes ago of, of what are we doing to kind of hurt ourselves here in the church, you know, in terms of deconstructing. And that's a huge one is not dealing with abuse cases and calling out uh, people who have abused their positions of authority mm-hmm. in the way that we should and seeking mm-hmm. justice for those who have been harmed in that capacity, you know, or putting, mm-hmm. putting things in yeah. place, you know, that perhaps help to prevent that kind of thing from, from actually happening, not making our, our churches, yeah, just, a, you know, a hotbed for, um, you know, or easy targets, I should say. Yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't find it, but one of the places in Julia's book, she mentions that asking questions at her, what I would say is a fundamentalist church, is as, asking questions is always seen as a threat. It's always a coup. It's always seen as disbelief. It, it's always seen as down the road of debauchery and sin. And uh, that that kind of culture in, in a church or any setting, uh, just says we're not we're actually here to find the truth. We're here to protect our ideas and our, our form of the truth. I just pulled up Michael Michael Gunger on Twitter, and yeah, I, I think I think the question has been answered. He has he has one Twitter that says some signs of fundamentalism. Questions are shamed. Number one, disagreement is seen as a threat. Number three, some sort of, quote, purity is important. Some information is seen as dangerous itself. And number five, scapegoating. Someone else is always the problem. Leaders, church, whoever, never the problem. And if you go up to his, um, I don't know if it's most recent, but he, he says 20 hours ago as of today, this is a formal, he says, Dear Universe, this is a formal written request to be able to love and worship God, which he puts in parentheses as deaths. I'm not sure what that is. And other people without needing to believe in the necessity of a blood sacrifice, divine alienation, or sexual repression. Thank you. Bunch of us. So I think yeah. that's a written rejection yeah. of necessity of blood sacrifice, which we would call the gospel. Um, but again, he... If you look at that and you go, well, you know what? Michael Gunger is rejecting substitutionary atonement. Well, yes, but he is apparently somewhere concerned that the church has, by his experience or what he's heard, has not been a place to encourage questions, has heard all disagreement as threat, uh, only narrows down the church or the church has narrowed down their own um, witness to sexuality, you know? Uh, I think that's another thing that our church is facing today and probably will be the source of deconstruction for many in the mm-hmm. future is 
the church kind of narrowing down their platform to sexuality or even or even life for that matter. You know, that this is what we're known for. This is what we're about. This is how we love the world uh, by preaching this message of, uh, of righteousness. Not that the church shouldn't teach that, what God's word says by any stretch, uh, but to be careful that we don't just sound like a uh, like Pharisees ourselves. Yeah, I mean, this is another by preaching righteousness this is, like that. This is another huge reason that uh, you know the abuse cases. Obviously, I, I want to kind of put them. That's that's also in in there, and I, I don't want to minimize what we just talked about because that's a significant issue, and mm-hmm. we probably need to come back to that at some mm-hmm. point. But, mm-hmm. um, but another that I see frequently uh, is just the uh, across i think many christians in the church being very uneasy with people asking questions or making assumptions that challenge the you know beliefs that we've held dear for so long i mean you know i i'm in a college town at mm-hmm. you know university of alabama is just down the road and um mm-hmm. you know we deal with college students quite frequently and, and college students I think more than anything one of the reasons I love them so much is that they they're unafraid to just ask questions <laughs> and you mm. know sometimes they <laughs> they ask questions and you're like you know it kind of catches you off guard you're like I, I never even thought about that in this passage or whatever and uh, but a lot of times they're they're dealing with a lot of the same questions that everybody else is dealing with but they're they're unafraid to ask them where some people might suffer in silence they don't and mm-hmm. I, what I, what i tend to notice a lot is that when those questions are asked some who have been christians for a long time will take their questions to be well this person's on the road to leaving the faith you know or well, when you ask that question, that's the tip of the iceberg. Oh man, here it goes. You know, and that I don't think that's always mm-hmm. true. But but underneath all of that is I don't think it's very fair because if we if we really are saying that we're the Bible is open to inquiry, the reason that God has allowed His Word to be translated in as many languages as possible, and we still view it as authoritative. So unlike the Quran, which is, you know, not authoritative unless it's in the original Arabic, um, mm. that's not the case with the Bible. We say, no, it's authoritative in English, just as it's authoritative in Greek and Hebrew. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, so if we really believe that, then we should invite the inquiry. Well, if you have questions, then mm-hmm. let's ask mm-hmm. them. And let's figure out a good answer, mm-hmm. and then let's think about it even harder, mm-hmm. and then let's read some people who have answered that mm-hmm. question, you know, mm-hmm. and and actually making our churches environments of inquiry rather than simply mm-hmm. just kind of this monolithic, um, you know, one size fits all approach. The Bible says it, therefore I believe it. End of story. Instead, going yeah. well, the Bible says it. Uh, let's understand how the Bible says it, what it means here. Uh, what about these objections? Let's tackle those. Uh, I use mm-hmm. the example quite a, quite frequently that when uh, the, the the generational differences that are in the church, um, I think, are seen especially when you study um, things like the Old Testament prophets. 
Um, the book of mm-hmm. Jonah is probably the one I use most as an example. When I go into a room and I teach a group of 70-year-olds the book of Jonah, mm-hmm. I start with a text and we work through the text and that's it. The Bible says it. I believe it. End of story. But if you do that <laughs> when you walk into a room of 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds even, you're, you've already lost them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to begin mm-hmm. in the book of Jonah with, did this really happen? Is how did, <laughs> is there really, are we really to expect that a fish swallowed a man? Yeah. Yeah. Do we, when we, when yeah. it says that, is that metaphorical? Do we, are we supposed to believe that as, right. as absolute? Like, did that literally take place? And mm-hmm. do we know mm-hmm. that? How do we know that? Uh, the base assumptions going into the text from people in a younger generation, people that are just now beginning to have kids, things like that, that generation is, Mm -hmm. the assumption is, I'm not sure whether this is true or not. Convince me it's true or not, and then I'll listen to it, you know? And Mm -hmm. so... Or that it's, or I I think maybe that it's credible. Yeah, we, is it... You're open to having a conversation and that there's there is a discussion and not that your answer is, well, it's there, just right. It. Right. Is this credible? And if if it's credible, if you prove to me that it's credible, or at least if you are uh, are giving some decent enough answers as to its credibility that I might be able to entertain it, then I'll listen to you on what all this means and how it applies to me and all that kind of stuff. But if this is not credible and it's not true, then uh, take it or leave it. It's you know might as well be the Chronicles of Narnia. Like it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And yeah, or say you don't know. I mean, sometimes we should just say yeah. we don't know. Yeah, What's yeah, and and, and, I, and by and large, people are okay with that. You know, saying you know, I don't know. But yeah. I, I've always taken the approach of you know I don't know, but I guarantee you somebody has written on this. And we should probably investigate, you know, and we should look at specifically at that question. And I think making our, our, uh, churches, you know, time, have times in our churches where we can open those sorts of investigation, make it a, turn it into a laboratory. Um, and Mm -hmm. I I think those, that's helpful. Like we, we have transitioned, uh, from, a typical kind of like Sunday school sort of model to it's not not entirely different, but it, but um, to what we mm-hmm. we we call them building blocks. I know you do too. I actually took the name from you, but um, but but yeah. <laughs> I should have I should have like got a trade. You should. <laughs> I would have stolen. It, not even. I would have been like we just came into the same idea. Um, <laughs> but but essentially where we're we're opening 13 week courses where we want to deeply investigate some particular issue. It might be, you know, typically I try I try to have one course that is a book of the Bible that or a portion of a book of the Bible that you can go into and study with somebody teaching. Um, or you can hear a you know, a particular theological issue that we're going to look at, analyze, toss back and forth. So in these kinds of, you know, sort of laboratories, their questions are open. You know, you can ask whatever question you want to. We may have an apologetics course where we're actually talking about Mm -hmm. reasons for our belief 
why the credibility of the Bible versus the Quran or, or, or whatever. Um, you know, these sorts of like, let's, let's have some open, honest inquiry into the scriptures and let's let's really look at some of these things. Let's not just let's not just go. Here's three points in a poem from your Sunday school lesson, and 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 that's how you know Noah survived the flood. And let's pray, you know. But let's talk about the flood. Mm-hmm. Did it really happen? You know. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how do you get all those animals on an ark? I mean, come on, you know. And then Jonah, did he really get swallowed by fish? Like, let's let's actually do those. And we've actually begin to extend that into high school group as well, where, uh, or actually middle school and high school where, you know, similar kind of thing. But we, with the high schoolers, we actually do a, a, an entire quarter that's just question and answer. So for three quarters of the year, our student minister will collect questions from them. And, and then mm-hmm. the, yeah. that fourth quarter or one of the open quarter or whatever, it's just question and answer. So he'll categorize all the questions into 13 weeks, basically kind of group them together. And then mm-hmm. every week it's a different question. He'll kind of list out what the questions are going to be. So, you know, what week we're dealing with what, yeah. and, um, and it's, you know, how else do you actually say to people, we invite your questions yeah. We're, we don't want to be scared of them yeah. we we want to address them head on so we you have to be ready though for that there oh there's crazy questions sometimes you're like pastor, what in the world our youth pastor was <laughs> our youth pastor was gone a while back and uh, a buddy of mine and i uh took over the youth ministry for the night and instead of doing a bible study we just did one of those questions in a hat kind of night, you know, everyone write down two or three questions, put it in a hat, we'll pull them out and just try to answer them. And I expected, and I think it was the case that we had good biblical answers for most of the questions. Um, I don't think there were any that I recall going, I've never heard that. I don't don't know what to say, (laughs) but there was, there was one where someone had written one of the young girls or teenage girls asked, why do we wear clothes? Or something about clothes, and <laughs> oh, I I was ready. I had an answer. I went back to Genesis three, talked about shame, what God did, what clothes mean, and give at least a biblical option for for that. And then I came to a point where I had answered the question, and and we were good. There, everyone was satisfied. I was I was I had answered the question. I didn't have, and then for some reason. I just kept going and I said, so, and I said, also guys, this is why, uh, this is, this is what it means for a husband and wife to not live in shame in their intimate relationship. And there's, there's one girl, dear friends of ours, their daughters in the front row and her eyes got big as golf balls. (laughs) She just looked at me like. Oh no! Oh no! We're we're now we've this conversation has changed directions, and I immediately realized I I've gone to I can't back up I can't get out of this conversation, but to go in probably means I'm going to be apologizing to parents <laughs> for, for for introducing something that maybe they weren't ready to talk about today I don't know, uh, but I, I kid but I, it was so helpful because. I just think it was culture building. Even if we don't have the answers for the questions, building that culture like you described and that schedule that you guys do, I just think that 
mo even more than the answers to the questions themselves, underneath it it says this is a place to get answers. And this is a place to ask and talk and um, and just think about all the times that Jesus was asked questions and how he responded to who and how he asked more questions, you know? Um, he, he just he didn't run around just telling everyone. He asked questions and engaged in his conversation with them. I think it's so helpful. There's a guy that was at our church, uh, or is at our church, and uh, came uh, opposed to the gospel and made that known to me his first or second Sunday. And a while later, he came up to me one Sunday. I grew up in the church, grew up in a hellfire brimstone church, baptized when he was a kid because he was afraid of going to hell, didn't believe, didn't know anything. And came up to me one Sunday and asked me a question about a passage in Romans. And I don't, I don't, I don't know what he, I don't know what it was. I don't know what I don't remember now what he was asking, but I just remember going, man, I have no idea. I'll, I'll have to get back to you and read that. And for me, it was just like, that's the only thing I could say because, because I had no idea what this passage was about at the moment. I couldn't wrap my mind around it after church. But I have heard him tell that story so many times as a meaningful to him that someone would say, I don't know, but let's let's talk mm -hmm. about it. It, it shocked me how important it was to him because to me it was just like I felt bad. I felt like, God, well, he's just you – know, he'll probably never come back. I don't even have the answers. How's mm -hmm. – you know, he, he won't want to come back here. We don't even know. We don't even know the mm -hmm. Bible here. And instead it was deeply mm -hmm. endearing. Uh, that was encouragement to me. Yeah. Um, it, it's helpful. Yeah. You know, I not everyone – I think this is maybe an important kind of direction to wrap up here is that we just don't have to – our theology might direct some of our peace and orchestra or demand some of our peace and rest when, when wrestling with other people, what we think about God, what we think about his will, what we think about how he works in people's lives, his timetable, his will, his sovereignty, his choice is in all in him. God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases and – that can – it may not take away all of the pain of someone walking away from the Lord. You know, I, I think sometimes it's even caused more frustration almost if the Lord wouldn't do something in someone's lives if they continue in unbelief and rejection of Christ. Uh, but there does come some comfort when you can say this really is in the Lord's hands. Uh, and my best efforts – aren't good enough to save or convince anyone. And my mediocre efforts, if they're good and genuine and scripture-filled and are loving and patient, are are going to be helpful, even if they feel weak to me. And I think the ability to just rest when, when talking to people and knowing I'll, I'll do the best I can with what I have in the most patient, loving, honest, forward way I can. But after that, what can I do? You know, I'm just I'm just one person. Um, you know, Jared Wilson. He one of the chapters in this book before you lose your faith. This is really helpful. He says, no matter the earthly means, a friend's testimony, a parent, or a Sunday school teacher's counsel, a preacher's invitation, a tract, or a book, or a TV program, even the chosen maybe, or even a tweet, the difference between belief and unbelief is not in the presentation, but in the spirit's awakening presence. Mm -hmm. By grace, God condescends to use human means, Romans 10, 14. But the power is God's alone. Saving faith is a gift. 
from God, Ephesians 2.8. I just think it's hopeful. Um, that actually makes me want to try more, I think. It makes me want to engage more, uh, knowing that I'll just I'll have the courage to trust the Lord and let him do what he will rather than be afraid uh, that I'll mess up or won't know an answer or won't be able to help. Um, I think it actually makes me want to engage with anyone more. Yeah, and, so? it, and it also reiterates to you and to me and to any Christian that the sheer fact that you woke up this morning still a Christian is due mm. to the Lord's abiding presence with you. That yeah. I am, I am, there are commands that are given to me to keep myself, you know, in the word and in prayer and, and things like that. But there's mm -hmm. the ever abiding presence of the spirit who also keeps us. Jude says he is able to keep us. And I think that we, we don't perhaps recognize that enough that, the mm -hmm. reason that I'm a Christian today. There are a lot of arguments that I believe are true. There are a lot of things that I believe are true about the resurrection and so on. But the reason that I'm a Christian is because the Spirit has changed my heart and continues to live with me. And if not for that, there's no reason that I would be a Christian. There's no reason that could suffice, right? Mm -hmm. um, but because yeah. would, would, wouldn't you say you would you say personally you've had your own experience of pain or depression or uh, encountering disbelief in others that you thought were Christians that you've experienced that enough that you should have been gone yeah. by now absolutely could be doing absolutely. something else you, you know, we've we've talked about depression. We've talked about several other things and, and uh, friends leaving and things like that. And, and sometimes the pain and, and sometimes just the things you go through in life. I've never been, I don't have um, the story of uh, Miss Shears or any of them, but um, certainly. And that's a, you know, nightmare in and of itself. But, um, but certainly have had things happen to me that just, you know, are awful and, and wouldn't wish on anybody. And the, you know, looking back on those things, any one of them could have perhaps even you might say should have pushed me over the edge of, you know, of faith and, and into disbelief and deconstruction and all this. And yet the Lord sustained me through them. And we can only pray that he will continue to sustain us to the end. You know, I mean, I, I was talking with my wife last night about just a whole bunch of stuff going on. And, you know, I, I said, <laughs> it was, it's interesting, you know, you, you start off in ministry and you, you think, man, uh, oh, I would love to just, you know, teach the Bible all the time and, and see people come to faith and baptize tons of Christians and all these kinds of things and, and I would love to you know have this mm -hmm. kind of ministry that kind of ministry whatever and the further you get into ministry the more you change to I just want to make it to the end you know <laughs> like I, <laughs> oh, I want to still be a Christian yeah, when this is all over your, your, yeah. <laughs> your goals all of a sudden you're like the yeah. bar just gets lowered to 
man, I just, mm-hmm. can I just make it through the finish line? You know, mm-hmm. that's all I want to do is I want to be 80. I want to have not left my wife. I want to, you know, if we're still alive, still be married. Um, you know, not left Jesus. I want to still be a Christian. I don't want to hate the church. I don't want to hate, you know, you know, the faith or anything like that. I just want to make it mm-hmm. to the end, you know? And, and so my goals really have just, I guess that's probably bad to say, but like my goals have just been lowered so much to say, I will take any fruit from ministry and from teaching the word that comes along. And I will be grateful for it. And I, to be fair, I don't think I think I would be careful with your language. I don't think that's lowering the bar. I think that's shedding off, deconstructing, if you will, a, a secular Western idea of right. Christianity and shaving off. Because actually, the Bible prizes endurance right. in right. Christians. Revelation is Christian endure. Yeah. While all so. It's not even a – when you say lowering the bar, that to some that could sound like – and I know you don't mean it this way. It could sound like, um, you know, you're – well, you're just making it, the, the you know, the simplest as possible. And like, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is the yeah. Christian hope that you would believe in Christ, forgiveness of sin, and yeah. endure to I forgive end. you for Jesus duking my point there, but that's okay. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> What am I here you, for, you're man? Totally just Listen, Jesus that's... Me. You're like, like, oh, you think you're gonna take the ball, don't you? You think you're gonna run? Nope. Listen, you, th- you think you're gonna come up and tackle the point? No, no, Jesus juke. Listen, if I didn't think you you didn't know that I already love you, <laughs> I know I wouldn't have said it. I wouldn't have even bothered. But I know that you know it's yeah. truth and love. Uh, and you, the only reason you can laugh is because you know it it's is. a little bit true. It is right? no. It, it, I think, but I think you're right, and that's that's what you know. Andrew and I were talking about last night was that you start off the the illusions of grandeur are not. It's not even like a big church or like all this money or anything like that at all. Right, it's right. it's like just you know, I, I love to teach the Bible. I love to disciple people, and I just want to do that for the rest of my life. And 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 that's that's why I you know, wanted to be in the ministry to begin with. And now I'm like, you know, seeing all these people fall away and, and watching all these, you know, people get ensnared in sin. And, and you start to realize why Paul wrote some of the things that he wrote that no, Mm -hmm. the goal is I just want to finish the race and I still want to be faithful Mm -hmm. when I do. I yeah. want to, you know, an example. Oh, I, yeah, I just, I want to, I want to be there in the end, and I want to, I want to, I want to still, I want to still believe this, and really, now my goals have changed from I just want to teach the Bible and disciple people. That's still true, but it it is more. I want to help you also finish the race. Like that's all we're that's all we're trying right. to do. You're gonna have struggles, and you're gonna have hardships, and you're gonna have lots of bumps in the roads and setbacks and things that are frustrating to you and that you absolutely just despise and hate. And lots of times where you go through things like depression and all kinds of other abuse maybe or all kinds of other issues, mm-hmm. My all I want to do is I want to come underneath your arm 
and together we can limp to the finish line if necessary. But that's all we want to mm-hmm. do is just make it, you know, to the end. Yeah, which, which is yeah. everything. I mean, that's when you say all. I know what you mean. What Jesus, you you're going to Jesus juke like, me again, aren't that, you? That's it. That's I'm. I'm trying no, not to. Man. You cannot help. You're like <laughs> Barry Sanders, and you're Jesus juking. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's everything. It's like if we can only have that, then that's all. That's all we could hope for. Here's a thought. I was thinking through uh, Ephesians four, and I'm thinking, you know, real quick. First, it, you're right. There's a what does faithfulness look like? There's uh, a young man who's who has I, I would consider myself still close to in many ways, but has walked away from the faith. Our church, I think, could have done better caring for him, and yet I think our church did an incredible job. When our church went to the circus, he was walking away from the faith. We introduced that to the whole church and asked for prayer and help. And multiple people, including one mother in our church, went to sit down with him and explain her story and talk about her past and her being abused and her sexual sin. Uh, she had met her husband in a uh, bar, actually, or a strip joint, actually, I think. And no, I could be corrected. And just sharing her story about sexuality and abuse and coming to Christ. And that was uh, deeply impactful to him. He eventually did walk away from the faith. And, but that's, that's when I got into ministry, I don't think it's a faithfulness that I ever imagined. Standing in front of my church, telling our church body, this man has walked away and saying, we tried, we prayed, we walked with him best that we could, and he walked away anyway. And faithful looks like tearfully standing in front of the church, dealing with that. I'd never imagined coming into ministry that there was that that would be part of faithfulness uh, to Christ uh, through something like that. But I mentioned Ephesians a minute ago, and it just makes me think: what's church? Churches often. And I think myself as well, we get invited in the 11th hour or, you know, it's 1130 and decision time is midnight, you know, and you're invited into this process or so to speak, right? And just kind of thinking about what what does it mean to, you know, actually minister to this ahead of time? And it made me think about Ephesians 4 where Paul talks about giving the apostles, prophets, shepherds, teachers to equip the church for the work of the ministry, the work of the ministry being the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. And here's, I think, the sentence that's helpful, Ephesians four fourteen: No longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine and by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up, grow up in every way to him who is the head of Christ. Finally, he says, and they're building each other up in love. So I just think that, the, you know, what you described with your youth pastor and the, and the students there, I think that's what Paul's saying, mm-hmm. is the regular ministry of bringing one another to maturity, speaking the truth in love, Equipping the 
church to build each other up in the word. Uh, one of the best ways that you can um, help those in deconstruction is to create a culture where we're helping each other guard against, uh, watch for waves, wind of doctrine, craftiness, deceitful schemes. And that's discipleship. It's not special. It's not kind of like, you know, we have the church ministry, but then we have our deconstruction ministry over mm -hmm. here, right? If you're in trouble, then there's a there's a path. You can call the pastor for counseling. Maybe you need to go see someone. Maybe you need to read a book. No, 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 no. Our whole ministry is a ministry to those who are one question or one pain or one hurt away from deconstruction. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's encouraging Amen. that the the normal faithful means of grace, the habits of grace as a church are really our, our best front, our, our best uh, our best chance at uh, helping each other uh, in it or from it. Uh, so keep, keep being faithful. Keep preaching the word. Keep discipling each other. Keep going to your life group answering questions. Keep asking other people questions. Keep praying for each other. Uh, I think this seems, Ephesians 4 seems to be the way to kind of hit it head on week to week, day to day, every day. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Fire and Bones podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider subscribing or following the show on your favorite listening platform so you can be notified every time a new episode is released. Consider leaving us a generous review if that's an option for you. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone that you think might benefit from it. Be sure to check the show notes for any relevant links, including our contact information. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Fire and Bones podcast. Thank you.